Good morning. How are you? This beautiful, crisp fall morning. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful? Today is actually the day that fall begins. And Katie, I think, has an announcement. Katie, if you want to come on up here and be up here ready. Um, but I want to welcome you and, and remind you um, that uh, we have one service next Sunday at 10 a.m. in the sanctuary. And Katie's going to talk a little bit more about that. And today is a library day. So uh, if you're a child and want to go to the library, this is the day to do it. And uh, somebody will be here and you'll know what time, when to go. Um, and that's all because Katie's going to say the rest. <laughs> I just want to remind everyone, said, that next Sunday is our combined service. So it'll be a 10 a.m. service here in the sanctuary. And it's going to be our children's Sabbath. So that is a very special service for us. Our children do every aspect of the worship service. So I hope that you will be here with us for that special Sunday. Immediately following the service, there will be a lunch in the Family Life Center. It is going to be a potluck, so please bring your favorite dishes. The meat and drinks will be provided by the church, but everything else will come from the congregation. So we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. And I just want to add one thing. This is a great opportunity. Now, last year we didn't say this, but this is a great opportunity for evangelistic efforts. Invite your friends and neighbors and other family members to come and experience Memorial Church with our children's uh, Sabbath. Okay? Thank you. Let's begin our worship.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray together. Give us, O Lord our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
be seated and let our children come forward for our children's time here in this service. And um, I know sometimes we look around and we think, we don't, we don't have that many children, but we have a slew of them at the early service. And so y'all make sure you're here next week to support them. you're here okay we're going to talk about doing the right thing does that sound good will you talk about that with me or let me talk about it okay what would you do if you were walking by your teacher's desk at school and saw a dollar bill on the floor would you pick it up and give it to your teacher or would you look around make sure there was no one watching and put it in your pocket what would you do if you were walking home from school and found a bag of money, and when you looked inside, discovered there was a lot of money in there. Would you tell your parents and report it to the police, or would you say, wow, this must be my lucky day? You don't have to answer if you don't want to. Okay. Well, this morning, I'm going to tell you about three true stories of people who found a large amount of money and chose to do the right thing. The first guy's name was Hector. He was a 15-year-old high school student. And one day, Hector found a bag of money that had $120 in it. It was on top of a Coke machine. He took it to his teacher, and the two of them took it to the principal's office to turn it in. And when asked why he turned in the money instead of keeping it, <coughs> Hector said that he was concerned that the person who collected the money and then left the bag would get in trouble if he lost the money. That makes sense, right? The next story is about Eddie, who was walking home one evening and found a bag on the sidewalk outside of a store. He picked up the bag, looked inside, and saw that there was a lot of money in there. When Eddie got home, he told his wife about finding the bag of money, and together they counted it. And there was over $4,000 in that bag. Eddie called the police and told them about the money. The manager of the store had dropped the bag while closing up, and without a doubt, he was happy that Eddie called, don't you think? That was a lot of money. The third story is about a guy named Jason who was driving home from work one night and he crossed a well-lit intersection and saw what he thought looked like a book laying in the road. He stopped and he picked it up and it turned out to be an appointment book like a calendar and it had a bunch of zippered pockets inside. He looked in the first pocket and Jason found $6 and a driver's license. But when he opened the second pocket, there was a big wad of cash. When he arrived home, Jason counted the money and there was more than $9,000 in cash. For some, the decision might have been difficult, but for Jason, it was easy. He called the police and reported what he found, and when asked why he turned the money in, he said it was just the right thing to do. So when we hear stories like these, it makes us think, what would I have done if that happened to me? And to find the answer to the question, I think we should say, what would I do if I found a dollar on the floor beside my teacher's desk? You see, honesty is not a question of how much money is involved. It's just a matter of doing the right thing. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story about a rich man who was a manager. And the manager was using the man's money for himself. 
The rich man discovered that the manager was wasting his money, so he called him in and he fired him. After telling this story, Jesus said to the disciples, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if we make sure that we are honest with small things, then we can be sure to be counted on and honest in the big things. If people know that they can trust us in small things, they know they can trust us with big things too. Does that make sense? It does to me too. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, help us to remember what Jesus taught us about honesty and help us to be honest in every situation, no matter how big or small. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. first scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Instructions on worship. I urge then first of all that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. This is the word of God for the people of God.
amen to that. Thank you very much. I love that. Did you all like that? That was good, wasn't it? That was wonderful. I, love that. I, pr- I appreciate your prayers. Um, I want to give you a little quick report. Brenda's doing much better now that she has um, been on this medicine they've had her on, and I appreciate your prayers for her. And, and your prayers for our new little granddaughter that came into the world. And then at the same time, we had a cousin and a dear uncle, my mother's last living sibling, that we uh, um, said goodbye to this past week. And I appreciate very much all your prayers during these uh, uh, issues that we've had within our family. And we continue to covet your prayers always, uh, not just when there's uh, something going on at any time. Pray for, pray for me. Let us bow our heads now in prayer. Oh God, in your mercy, hear the prayers of these my people. Oh blessed God, you have put gladness in our hearts. You have sheltered us in times of distress. Our joy is coming before you to offer our hymns of rejoicing to your name, to offer our prayers and our petitions and our confessions. And even though we know you have set us apart and you've told us the right ways and the path to follow, we must confess this day that we do not walk before you in godliness. We have not been good stewards. We do not always bring honor to you. We're not careful to be faithful in small matters. We're half-hearted in our commitment to you. Do not remember against us these sins. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us. Deliver us and forgive us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, wash us once again. And let us stand up and be counted as followers of Christ. We know that you desire for us wholeness, whether it be body, mind, or spirit. And we know that there are many people that we have in our prayer list. There are many people that we have requested prayer for this morning in the early service. And there are many that we want to name now in our silence of our hearts. Oh God, hear all these names. Make strong those who are weak. Raise up those who are weighed down with anxiety. Give courage to those who despair. Give peace to those who are dying. And hope to those who mourn. Be gracious to us. Hear our prayers, O Lord, because we offer them through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue worship as we give.
Let our ushers come forward now.
may be seated. We continue here in this part of the Bible where Jesus read letters and there's a lot of Jesus' parables. And we're at verse, we're at Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So the manager thought to himself, what shall I do? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, How much do you owe, my master? Eight hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred. Then he asked the second, How much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. So he told him, Take your bill and make it eight hundred. So this is what he did. And this was the conclusion of the matter. When the master found out, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then here's the point Jesus wanted to make. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And I tell you, use your wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your Son who came and lived among us, taught us directly about many things. And may that, these teachings today, may they come into us and may we understand them through the power of the Holy Spirit's help as we understand how we are to be as followers of Jesus and to be singularly minded in that purpose. We pray in your name. Amen. Well now, you know by any account what 
Jesus says the guy did is he cooks the books to save his skin. Thinking that if he does that, once he's fired, he'll have a bunch of friends out there and all the people that, you know, got a benefit from the cheating. I don't know about you, but I imagine if the Bank of America manager called me up and told me that she was going to reduce all my debts in half with a stroke of the pen so that I might welcome her into my home after she got fired, I don't know about you, but I think I might be just a little bit uneasy about that, even though I would probably be very tempted by that. When the boss hears what the manager does, he commends them because he acted shrewdly. And if you picked up on the nuance in the scripture, you realize Jesus was condemning them both. What in the world can we do with this story? And on the face of it, it almost seems like Jesus is commending the dishonesty of the manager, but that is not what he's doing. He, what he is doing is holding up the fact that the people of the world the people who bow down to the world economic system as their priority in life, uh, those people are shrewd and wise and committed to that effort. But us, the followers of Jesus, are often naive and not as savvy and not nearly as committed to, to Christ and his church as these are committed to the system in which they find themselves enslaved. Jesus often used scoundrels in his parables to make a point. And one it, I always thought of that was one of the best ones was when he, and you may remember, I hope you remember, is when the person found a treasure in somebody else's, on somebody else's property. And so what he did is he went out and bought the property without telling that person that there was a treasure there so that he could get the treasure himself. These scoundrels are used by Christ to illustrate things, but what we need to understand is that what Christ is trying to illustrate is that, for example, in that example, if, uh, if a person will expend every effort to even cheat just to obtain a treasure, then how much more ought we to expend to enter the kingdom of God? How much more should we be about being shrewd and committed and wise in our efforts to advance the kingdom of God and to be those followers of Christ Christ has called us to be? The life issue, I believe, in this parable is that are we as shrewd, are we as clever, are we as committed as the children of light when it comes to our faith? Do we really use at hand all that we can, all the resources God gives us uh, to ensure our future with God? Or are we double-minded? Do we show our loyalty to two masters? which, as Jesus said, is impossible to really do. How committed are we? How committed are we to Christ as Lord? How committed are we to Christ's holy church? Is this, as the scripture says, where we devote our body, mind, soul, and spirit at 100%? 
Or is it a place that we check off, a check-off list? I have a cousin who is away from the church, but I love him dearly. And ever so often he cycles himself back into the church, and it's usually at Easter or Christmas, and he says things to me like, well, just in case, I'm hedging my bets. Just in case, I'm hedging my bets. That doesn't sound like a person who's singularly minded. It sounds like a person who's double-minded. What are the ways that we know? How can we tell, Lord, if we are being singularly focused on you? What are some ways? Well, Jesus' first example he gave right there in the Scripture. He's, and he says you can't, you can't be loyal to one and the other at the same time. Yes, we live within this evil world economic system, but that's not God's economy. That's not God's intention for us. That's not God's plan for us. And that is not what the world is being transformed into unless those of us who are the children of light remain double-minded. If we get singularly focused once more on Christ as Lord and on devoting our entire effort to Christ and His church, as the Scripture says, all these other things will be given to you. The Lord knows what we need. It may not be necessarily what we want, but the Lord knows what we need. And when we trust and are singularly focused upon the Lordship of Christ, we will receive what we need. But far too many of us, and doubtedly even in Jesus' time, or he would not have left, lifted up this parable to those who were there to hear him, far too many of us are double-minded. We try to serve both God and mammon, as one version puts it, or the world economic system. It's as simple as that. And so Jesus talks a lot about our loyalties, who we are and what we are loyal to. In fact, one-third of all Jesus' parables concerns people's relationship between their faith and their resources. And Jesus held up many, many, many examples of loyalty and of people who like, for example, the rich young ruler who gave up following Christ because he wouldn't give up his riches. He was double-minded. He wasn't singularly focused upon Christ as Lord. Jesus ends this parable with these words, The children of this age are shrewder in dealing with their own generation. The shysters and hucksters and criminals, deadbeats, those who are thieves and robbers, they know how to do it. They know how to work together. They know how to make it happen. They know how to cheat together, people. They, have, they are the reason that injustice reigns across this world. And yet, we as children of light have the power to make a change and a difference, but because we are doubly minded and not singularly focused, upon the Lord God as Savior and Lord of our life, we have, are right in the middle of it. No one can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you to be devoted to one and despise the other. And we find ourselves trying to do that as the children of light 
And Jesus is warning us through this parable that we need to be just as shrewd and wise and committed as are those folks in the injustices of the world, but into justice, for justice, for the lordship of our life and lives of others. We need to be able to be just as shrewd with every resource that we have. And we have lots of resources. We have wealth. We have beautiful buildings. We have the scriptures. We have tradition of the church. We have very faithful people. And yet, do you think that the world is being transformed for the better? If you think that the world is being transformed for the better, I wish you'd get me aside and tell me how and where and when. The world is not going in the right direction. I shouldn't have to tell you that. My dad likes to say you speak to the choir. We know that. But we know also that we have power beyond ourselves. We need to call upon it. We need to be shrewd. We need to be wise and we need to be committed to our cause. We need to have the same savvy to operate within this unjust world as those children of the world do. They're not smarter than we are. Uh, they are serving their master. We need to serve our master. Their efforts are not divided. They're not confused. They're not lost in the gap that exists between two masters. But so often, Ours is in the church. Not just this church, every church, all across every denomination. We have still got much hope. We still have much effort and resources. If we become singularly minded, we have much power behind us. But far too many people are ready to give up and give in and not have the courage it takes to make a difference. I cannot believe that I read what I read in our newspapers. I cannot believe that the Greenville County School System has prevented some of our teachers from mouthing their prayers, from wearing a cross or calling attention to it. I cannot believe some of the stuff that I'm reading. And here in this area, the Bible Belt, where we should be the strongest in our influence, we seem to have rolled over and just let the injustice of the world carry on. I'm sorry if I step on anybody's toes today, but I am convinced that we still have an opportunity as the church to make a difference in the world. My friends, I can't keep getting up in the mornings and reading about 13 kids shot on a park in Chicago or some nut eight men walking into a mall in Nairobi, Kenya and shooting and killing it's, over 50 people were killed I forgot a couple hundred wounded and they singled out Christians they sing you know folks we are in a terrible shape and as a preacher it gets harder and harder to stand up and to preach because you have got to make the changes. You've got to elect the right officials. You have to insist on it. You've got to go to meetings. You've got to stand up and be counted. 
If not, we will lose it completely. We've almost lost a generation. I recommend to you a book called Nuns. When, when asked, the 18 to 35-year-old people, when asked what is their religious affiliation in the United States, the majority answer is none. So often we speak about the depth and the breadth and power of love, and yet we settle for mediocrity in our faith. I believe it's true that what we sow, we reap, and I think the church has been so sparingly for the last 10 or 15, maybe 20 years, and the harvest is sparse because of it. But we need a revival. We need a revival in all our churches. And we need to regain the trust uh, of, of, the, of the country. We need to regain the moral fiber and character of Christ Jesus in our everyday living. We need to be shrewd. We need to be committed. We need to be wise in our dealings with this injustice system that we live through. Well, that was one example how you use your resources. The other example is how you use your time, and I kind of talked about that, but have you ever noticed how sometimes people will do, I don't care, if sports, it can be elections, it can be uh, uh, like being part of uh, fine arts performances, whatever it might be. They spend, expend effort, commitment, time, money, energy but they won't walk across the road and invite their neighbor to church. They won't speak the word of Jesus Christ to a stranger. I laid to rest, we laid to rest my dear uncle this past week. This is a fellow who turned 20 years old on, on Omaha Beach. He turned 20 years old on Omaha Beach D-Day. He had with him the Bible that the military used to give their soldiers. I don't know if they do now or not. Recently I read an article where they were going to court-martial a chaplain because he had said that Jesus Christ was the only way to God. Anyway, he had his, they still had his Bible. He carried all the way through all his, uh, uh, through the war, war II, and he had kept with him all his life. And at 20 years old, that young man on Omaha Beach wrote, God is love, and underlined the word love. How do we get from people of faith like that to the people that we know are all around us? How do we get from there, from there to here? I don't know how we got there. From here but we need to go back to there and I'm sorry I've got way off of my text but uh, and I'm off of my sermon but God has told us that we have what we need to be shrewd and wise and committed we have all the resources and on top of that we have the Holy Spirit present with us but we have to act we have to act and we have to quit accepting things that we know are not right, that are evil. 
I hope and pray that this will cause you to think. That was my purpose today, was just simply to make you think. And I pray that you will ask yourself, what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you being committed? How are you being singularly focused on God? How are you making a difference outside the church to help the world be transformed? I, for one, am not ready to give up. I, for one, am ready to continue the good fight until the Lord calls us home. And I hope you are too. Amen.
May you always know the blessings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Almighty and Eternal Triune God, one God now and forever. Amen.